0: nice enough guy to give you all a warning. This is one of my longer sermons, so get comfortable. (laughs) Sorry, Bob. I know your sciatics bother you. (laughs) Okay. Everybody here likes a wedding reception. And honestly, what's not to like about a reception? There's food, there's music, there's family, there's friends. And it's all free. Everyone loves free. It's free a happy time of celebration. Everyone here today has actually been invited to a wedding reception. But you must dress a certain way. Everyone here must wear the same outfit. Now, with that being the case, are you still willing to go? What am I talking about? I'm talking about the parable of the wedding feast, which is found in Matthew 22, verses 2 to 14. So, Let's dig into the scripture now and find out exactly what this wedding feast is all about. This parable is the last of three parables in which Jesus' immediate purpose is to rebuke the legalistic Pharisees. Jesus tells this parable because his other parables apparently did not sink in. They did not repent and they did not put their faith in Jesus as the promised Messiah. So, he tells a third parable in hopes that they will finally repent. And if not, that rejection of yet another teaching will only condemn them further. So what is this third parable? Let's, let's read it. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, "...the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come." Again he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready to go, so come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast them into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. As you know, every single one of Jesus' parables is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. In other words, Jesus will use our earthly setting, so to speak, to describe an eternal truth. So let's first take a look at the earthly story here so we can better understand the meat of of the story, which is the heavenly meat. So here we have a king. And this is nowhere near man, but he is specifically a king. And he is a king who has a son, and his son is going to be married. This is a very big deal. Weddings are big deals because they are something that You do only once in a lifetime. Well, at least it should be. So, how much more of a big deal would a king's son's wedding be? This implies two things. One, many, many, many people will know about this wedding because it's a king's son's wedding. And there's going to be a lot of stuff. There's going to be a lot of food, there's going to be a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of fancy things. So, this wedding is a Big deal in every sense of the term. So, okay, the time has come for the king. The time is coming, and the king is in in verse 3 says that he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. In the days in the days of Jesus' earthly walk, invitations were typically sent out to those who were invited. First, to specific guests that were invited. And this was all done well in advance. And secondly, on the day when everything was ready. On this day, runners would be sent to remind those who were invited that everything was ready and the time to assemble is right now. Now, even though he the king, even though he is king, even though he knows all the people and all the people know him, he does not invite all the people. The king has selected for himself a select number of guests. Okay, everything is done. Everything is ready. So the king tells his servants to go out and tell those who were invited to get themselves here. The party is going to start. So what is their reaction? Is it, yes, finally, the party's ready to start. Here comes the wedding. Well, what does the text say? Verse 3 says, But they would not come. Hmm. These people are part of of the select few, the elite, you might say, the privileged ones, able to attend this banquet. And yet they are turning down this offer. Just imagine being the king for a second, showing your grace and gratitude to these people by inviting them, and they turn you down. But the king is gracious. He wants them to have time to reconsider their response. He decides, maybe they didn't quite understand my servants the first time. Maybe they thought they said next week as opposed to right now. So I'll send them out again. That's what he did in verse 4. It says, again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The king could not have made himself any clearer this time. He said three things in this message. It's been prepared, the food is ready, and all things are ready. This is going to be a really nice wedding. Unlike everything you've ever seen, it's ready, guys. Party time, celebration time, let's go. Time's a wasting, let's go. And what did the invited guests, how did they react this time? Did they come, did they finally realize that, okay, he's serious, the time's not. Did they come dragging their feet like most of us do to some weddings? Okay, I'll go, but I hope it's not too long. And why does it have to be so far away from us? Well, what did they do? Reaction one is actually found in verse five, and it says, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business. Basically, what they said was, I have more important things to do than to go to this once-in-a-lifetime event that only a few people were selected to go to. They were more concerned with their own affairs. These people had better things to do than to go to the king's son's wedding. These people were acting stupid, and they were acting selfish. In reality, they had no real reason for staying away from the banquet. The truth is, they simply did not care. Why would they reject this opportunity a second time? At least they could have come up with a good excuse, but they didn't. What did they do instead? Verse 5 says that they went to their farms and businesses instead. In other words, they went off to make money, and they went off to do something they felt was more important to them than this stupid waste of the time banquet. Thanks but no thanks is basically what they said. The ones that didn't react this way, reaction number two, acted in a more violent way. Verse six says, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. These sick, invited guests not only rejected this invitation, but they actually punished the servants simply for coming and telling them, hey, the king's expecting you. He wants you to come to his son's wedding. These these people took these messengers and mistreated them, which could mean anything from verbal abuse to physical abuse, and some actually killed them. I mean, honestly, could you imagine someone knocking on your door and saying, good evening, evening, sir, I was told by the Queen of England that you were one of the select few that were chosen to attend Prince William's wedding that is going on right now. Please follow me there and I'll take you there. And you take that messenger and slit his throat. That's essentially what they did. Now, imagine being the king again. You send out one invite, they don't come. You send out another invite, the people don't think it's important enough, and they actually kill the messengers through whom it comes through. So what's the king's reaction this time? Verse 7 says, The king was angry. Yeah, I bet he was. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. They turned him down, they spit in his face, they went so far as to kill the messengers who brought who brought with them nothing more than an invitation, and they killed them. So the king justly killed those murderers and even burned down their city. In other words, he wasn't happy with their reaction. Okay, now what? The banquet wasn't canceled. Everything was ready to go. Seats needed to be filled. So verses 8, 9, and 10 say said... Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. That's an understatement. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the king's solution was simply this invite anyone and everyone you see. No exceptions, all are invited. So these servants went out and did as they were told and got anyone and everyone. They gathered all whom they found, all it says, both good and bad. It's doctors, that's people who have committed sins. All means all. And as one might expect, they accepted this offer. They were probably overwhelmed that the king of the land would actually invite me to his son's wedding. So unlike those who were first invited, Those once uninvited guests accepted the invitation and gladly attended the banquet. The wedding hall was now filled with undeserving guests who responded to the gracious invitation of the king. The king did not know these guests, so he decided to walk around and see all whom he accepted the invitation. And while making his way around the banquet, he is caught by surprise by something. And verses 11 to 12 describe it. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. You see, back in Jesus' time, these wedding garments were actually given to the guests by the one who was getting married. Liken it now to imagine going to a wedding now, and before you walk through the door, someone asks you what size you are, and then they hand you a dress to put on. Well, essentially, that's what they used to do. So given that the king provided the clothes for everyone to wear, the last thing he expected to see would be someone not wearing the free clothes which has provided to everyone at the door. Well, unfortunately, there was one man who decided for whatever reason not to accept the clothes at the door and instead go in and enjoy the banquet wearing his own clothes. Imagine your son getting married and you invited your brother who shows up wearing a tank top and bicycle shorts. That's essentially what this is. Obviously, this immediately caught the king's attention. After all, by not wearing the wedding garments, this man was not dressed for the occasion. He did not show honor to the king. So he confronted him about it and he called him friend. He didn't get angry, he didn't yell, but instead he showed patience and grace to this man. It gave him a chance to give him an honestly good reason as to why he refused to put on this free clothes that, were, that was offered to him at the door. And what was his answer? That was it. Nothing. He was speechless, the scripture says. The man knew that he was guilty. There was absolute, absolutely no reason why he did not accept these clothes. Here is a man who was once uninvited, then he was graciously invited, and you'd think he'd play by the king's rules, but no. He did things his way and had no reason or right to do so. So even though this man was invited, even though he showed up, he never fully accepted the king's invitation, as this can be seen through his utter utter refusal to put on the wedding garments. By attending the wedding ill-properly dressed, you are never really in the spirit of the wedding. So he directly insulted the generosity of the king by doing so. So after this man's brilliant answer of nothingness, what was the king's reaction? Verse 13 says, Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He threw him out immediately. He cast, cast him out because of his rebellion against a clear social standard. He had no answer, no excuse, so the king threw him out. At Jesus' time, wedding banquets were held at night, and the king threw him out into that darkness, and knowing that the outside of the banquet, there would be suffering and sorrow. Maybe there was a storm, maybe there are murders out there, I don't know. But the king knew that outside of his property, it wasn't good, and he still threw him out anyway. And the story ends with verse 14 saying, For many are called, but few are chosen. This saying sums up the parable. Two groups are invited. One group rejected the offer, the unchosen. Another group accepted the offer, the chosen. But what did all of this mean to Jesus' first century audience? That's crucial to interpreting any scripture. What did it mean to them first, you need to ask. So what did this mean to the Jews to whom he was speaking directly to? What was the heavenly meaning for them? For them, this parable obviously was not a good one. Jesus told them this parable to let them know that they, the Jews, are no longer God's exclusive people. God is taking the kingdom away from the Jews and giving it to the Gentiles. Why? Because of what they have done. Look at the parable from a heavenly perspective. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. By Jesus simply saying that that he is telling his audience, there is more to this than this story, there is something deeper. So this whole parable is, is comparable to eternal truths, one of which Christ is about to reveal. The king is the father, and that is painfully clear, but the son is not necessarily Christ. And it says, And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. So here we have God inviting his people, the Jews, to the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus was telling this parable, he was directly speaking to the hard-headed, stubborn, high priestly Jewish party who were stuck in their legalistic ways. The Jews were God's chosen people. He chose them to be a people, to be the people through whom the word, through whom the word can come, and through whom they come through to know God, the only God. He chose them specifically for that. Not because of anything they'd done, but out of grace. It was the Jewish race that God chose to do this. So these quote-unquote invited people are Jews. What did God invite the Jews to choose to? He invited them to accept Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah. It was the Jews who received this message first. This is why Jesus so often reminded his disciples that his main audience was first for the Jews. First for the Jews and then for the Gentiles, Christ said on numerous occasions. So they get first crack at it. They are the privileged few to whom the Messiah, the Christ, would first be revealed to. And how did they respond? Verses 5 and 6. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. These servants were the prophets. They were disciples. They were God's chosen through whom he chose to announce that Jesus is the Christ and salvation comes only through him. And what did the Jews do? they paid no attention to them and beat them up and killed the very bearers of the good news they had been waiting for. Despite these repeated invitations, the Jews chose the kingdom of the world over the kingdom of heaven, while some even persecuted and killed these very messengers. They not only ignored God's invitation, but they actively despised it. When they were summoned by the king of heaven, they could have Compile, they could have um, accepted his gracious invitation, but they didn't. The Jews were God's people. Just how he loved them. I immediately thought of what Jesus, uh, who was God in flesh, said in Matthew 23, verses, verses uh, 37, whenever I read this passage, where Jesus said, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and st- stones those who are sent to it, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Think about this from God's perspective. He has been waiting and planning this day since before time began. He sent them a Savior to cleanse them from their sins. He loved the Jews. That's why he did all this. And look at how they responded to his love and his grace. Our God is a loving and patient God. So what is God's reaction to all this? In verse 7, it says, The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. They rejected his offer, so God punished them. This particular scripture actually points to what God will do soon to the Jews in 70 AD. I'm speaking past tense there. And that was when Rome destroyed the temple and put the Jews to the sword and scattered them abroad and prevented them... From gathering in the presence of God and his people ever again. That is a harsh but just judgment. So what did God then do? God is still gracious and he wants to show the world his grace and that salvation is only through his son. What he is to do now is that the Jews are no longer his people. Verses 8-10 to say, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. In Acts 13-44, Paul says this to, to the unbelieving Jews. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you, the Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged, yourself, judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. The Gentiles will now replace the Jews as God's people. The people whom the Jews once Referred to as dogs will actually replace them as God's chosen people. Israel and her people have been known as the chosen, but that privilege is lost through their unresponsiveness to Jesus' invitation to the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, there will no longer be one race, the Jews, but God will spread his word exclusively, but now to all people. Why? Because the Jews have rejected it. The king in this parable said that his invited guests are not worthy to attend, but they didn't deserve to come in the first place. Then why did the king invite them? Likewise, if the Jews weren't worthy to accept the message, then why did God offer it to them? The answer is actually simple. It was in their rejecting of the the invitation that indicated that they didn't deserve to come. They did not produce fruit which demonstrates to the world their true faith. So God would now give this message to those who would produce fruit for God, those who would spread his message. And that happened to be the Gentiles. God offered, offered it to the Jews and they blew it. Thus the Gentiles are now grafted into the family of God's people. No longer are God's people the Jews, but they are all people. But some Jews would accept the invitation to believe what Jesus had to say they would believe that Jesus is them Messiah. To them he has this to say, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to them, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. One who does respond to the invitation, but does not wear the appropriate garment is condemned to eternal punishment. This person most likely represents somebody like Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus from the inside. So, that was the message for the first century Jewish audience. What's the heavenly meeting now in 2013? Verses 1 through through 10 can all be summed summed up for you and me by saying this. Don't think that we or you are somehow better than the Jews, simply because God has entrusted you, the Gentiles, with the gospel. We have to remain humble and thankful for God entrusting to us this message of salvation. And now that we have been entrusted with the gospel, we, must sure, we have to make sure that we actually keep it. And not only keep it ourselves, but spread it to others. Also, we can't make useless excuses not to accept God's grace like those who were first invited did. We have to make serving God our number one priority in our lives. And likewise, we too can mistreat bearers of the good news. You know, Look at how many missionaries today are mistreated or even killed, just like what the Jews did to the prophets. So we are no better than them. Therefore, we are to learn from their mistakes and to cherish the gospel. But the real meat for us, I believe, is found in verses 11 to 14. The story of the man who came inappropriately dressed. Here we have the king, God, freely inviting everyone to be with him. But there's one stipulation. You must be dressed for the occasion. In this parable, we have a man who is invited to a banquet, told to wear the free clothes the king had provided, Declined the demand and went away and tried to blend in. Well, what does that wedding garment represent? And this is where the speculation comes about. It could be many things. One, it could mean it could represent works, in that man can't work to get in. Ephesians 2 8 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and it is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it might represent works. Also, it could represent expressions of our faith. That is, God invites us, and we naturally do works, which serve to to prove that we have accepted the invitation with a sincere heart. Revelation 17, verses 7-9 says, Let us rejoice and be glad, and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. It could actually represent also Christ's imputed righteousness on us, which gets us in. We can't physically be with God again until we are clothed in Christ's righteousness, which is freely offered to all who repent of their sins and trust in Christ alone for salvation. This garment then represents Christ's righteousness that came from His sacrificial death on our behalf. You can't get in wearing filthy rags. Romans 3.10 speaks of our filthy rags and says, There is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23-24 to says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And it could actually also represent accepting the invitation but not having a sincere heart. Believe with your mouth, but not with your heart. This person comes in or hopes to come to be accepted by God without a sincere heart for the repentance of their sins. They are inwardly unconverted. They never truly give all of themselves to surrendering lordship over to Christ. Matthew 7, 21, 23 says... It's a tough one to call because this parable is not clear as to what the garment represents. Any one of those answers, except for the first one, makes sense within the context. So maybe Jesus actually meant for the definition of garments to be ambiguous. Maybe there was more than one answer. Scholars can't even agree upon a proper definition you know, 2,000 years later. But one thing's for sure. The garment points to the accountability of everyone's response to Jesus' invitation to the kingdom of heaven. The garments were freely offered and still are, but he still has to accept them and put them on. This parable should cause every single one of us who have accepted the invitation to take a look at our garments. To ask ourselves, have I truly responded to the invitation of the gospel? Have I taken off all of my old garments for the new one Christ has provided for me? When we accept the invitation, we must be willing to give up everything for Him and to live our lives for the sole purpose of glorifying Him through the gifts and abilities He has given us. You know, too many people nowadays try to walk into the banquet without being made aware of the total lordship He is to have of your life. He is our master. Too often, people are encouraged to become a Christian simply by saying a prayer to receive Christ, and then everything's going to fall into place. That's not how it works. By doing so, we are telling these souls to show up to the wedding dressed in rags with the excuse, nobody told me I needed to change clothes. We do need to do works. We do need to be dressed in the Lordship of Christ. We do need to sincerely accept Him and to live for Him. That is what we are to tell others who have not truly accepted this invitation. That's what it means to put on new, clean garments. The man who didn't change his clothes wanted to do things in his terms and not the king's terms. But the king wasn't going to have any of that. These garments were not optional. Likewise, God will not accept you if you try to work into heaven, if you are not clothed in Christ's righteousness if you have an empty faith, or if you say you are one of His, but you know that you're really not. To people who try to get in without the free, clean garments offered, He will respond this way. He will bind you hand and foot and cast you into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. James has mentioned this, or Jesus had mentioned this place elsewhere, most notably in Matthew 8, verses 10 to 12, when He's speaking to the centurion. He says... When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to, said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This place is obviously hell, it is everlasting separation from God to not be dressed properly, to not give yourself to Christ, to seek salvation without true repentance, to not obey God's will will end you up you will end up there. And this is simply God in a loving way giving you that early warning. The parable ends with a simple yet deep saying. Simply for many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus calls for a universal invitation to the gospel. He wants all to be saved. He wants all to accept Him as their Savior out of His love for them. But the gospel reaches the ears of those who will not accept it as well as those who actually are chosen to accept it. Those who will accept it are sadly much less than those who are, are, are called to accept it. And how do we know who are chosen? How do we determine those who are from those who are called and from those who are chosen? It's simple. We know by their obedient response. Jesus says you will be able to tell by their fruit. So the message simply is, if you heard this message today and you are not saved, if God's wrath is still upon you, if you have not accepted him as your savior, he's inviting you. Join the party. God wants you to attend his everlasting eternal banquet. Set aside the cares of the world and put on his garment today and start living. And if you are saved, if you are already part of this banquet, already part of this reception, you know, thank God every day for him inviting you. And thank him with your mouth and by your actions, by being obedient and living for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this message and I thank you, Lord, for inviting us and showing your grace and your mercy for extending this uh, gospel out to us. Though you first have given it to the Jews, Lord, you have entrusted it to us. It is not simply a, a cognitive belief. It's not simply words on a page, Lord. But this message that we call the gospel is the true salvation that all mankind needs. And you have given it to us, Lord. You have entrusted it to us. Help us, Lord, to understand the seriousness of it. And help us, Lord, to show that we are chosen by our works and by our fruit. Father, may your Spirit just stir up in us all, Lord, and help us to go out into the world and to preach this message out of love and to live it out out of love. That we will do so naturally, not under any compulsion. But may your will just shine through us, Lord. May we be empty vessels, I pray in your holy name. Let's stand and sing our hymn for today, number five eighty six. He's got the whole world in his hands. Again, I'd like to thank Mike for coming up and sharing.